enjoy playing Washington, D.C. Makes me feel not only among friends, but close to the seat of government. Provides me with an opportunity to deliver, for example, this, this open letter pressed into my hands by a man on my street.
morning. My name is Sarah Basehart and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a member of your board of trustees and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected and to provide meaningful worship services during this unusual and trying time. Whoever you are, wherever you are from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching this service. We hope that you will join us in the future when we return to worship at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center. So we will have a chance to meet and welcome you in person. We have just two announcements this morning. Reverend Page will host a support group for members of the UUCC community who are working in healthcare from 12 to one today. If you plan to be there, please email Paige for the Zoom link at minister at uucolumbia.net. This year's UUA General Assembly is being held virtually from June 23rd to the 27th, and UUCC members are both invited and encouraged to attend. If you're registered, sorry, if you're interested in learning more or would like to register, check out the link in the chat. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Paige Getty. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and it's a privilege to serve as minister of this congregation and to welcome all of you this morning. If you're a newcomer among us, please be sure to fill out the visitor form if you haven't done that already so we can stay in touch with you. If you'd like to follow along in a more traditional order of service that is available to download from our the worship page of our website if you'd like to follow along with that or look at it for reference later, please do so. And if you have a personal joy or sorrow that you would like to share um, we'll be doing that again earlier in the service than we usually do so go ahead and email those now to joys and sorrows at uucolumbia.net. Thank you to Chris and Tim and all of the tech team and virtual ushers and staff who are working behind the scenes today and every Sunday. Thank you, Tom, for the live music and these awesome playlists we're listening to today. To Robin for the story, Sarah for the welcome, and extra special thanks to those who are sharing personal reflections today that are gonna be powerful and challenging and moving. Brooke Abercrombie, Kirsten Nelson, Reggie Nettles, Jen Hayashi, Pamela Henry. You are all a blessing. Thank you. In this worship service, we honor Juneteenth, observed yesterday and every year on June 19th, commemorating the end of legal slavery in the United States. Of course, the historical facts of that statement are complicated, and we'll address a little bit of that history later. But the guiding question in our preparations for today has been, what does it mean to be free? The intention in this service is to center the voices, stories, feelings, and experiences of those whose ancestors were enslaved here in the United States. Those among us who live with the direct effects of slavery in their bodies, in their day-to-day -day lives as Black Americans, 
And the intention is for the rest of us, especially those of us who identify as white, to listen with open minds, open hearts, welcoming the discomfort of what we're being asked to face, to accept, and then to act upon. In a reflection about the Black National Anthem, UU Minister Reverend Aisha Ansano asks, when you sing, lift every voice and sing, do you pay close attention to the words? Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Bitter the chastening rod felt in the days when hope unborn had died. We have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. This song, which we're not going to sing today, Reverend Amsano writes, deserves to be sung with attention. It is a song that starkly names the horrors and violence of racism in this country. And it is a song that should make us uncomfortable, she says, uncomfortable with the history that it calls upon, uncomfortable with the fact that the struggle for racial justice continues and has not come quite so far as it should have by now. How can anyone sing the words, treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered without a deep, deep discomfort? Reverend Ansano encourages the reader, the listener, the singer to willingly enter the discomfort and to honor the truth and the pain that reside there. So today we worship in that spirit of learning, listening, honoring, all in the name of liberation. Now, let us worship as we hear the sounding of the bell. please join in speaking the words of our congregational covenant, those promises that we make to one another and with one another over and over again. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now our host is gonna give you the opportunity to unmute yourself and say hello to all of your friends and neighbors who are gathered in worship today.
Please join me in singing hymn 153, Oh, I Woke Up This Morning. Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind Played on freedom Woke up this morning with my mind Played on freedom Woke up this morning with my mind Played on freedom Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Oh, I was singing and praying with my mind Played on freedom Singing and praying with my mind Played on freedom Singing and praying with my mind Stayed on freedom, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on freedom, woke up this morning with my mind. Stayed on freedom, woke up this morning with my mind. Good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your director of religious education, and I use the pronouns she, her. This weekend, we are celebrating Juneteenth, and the story that you are about to hear is a father who tells his daughter the story about their ancestors who were enslaved. They remember all the ways they grew and achieved since the ending of slavery. As you listen to the story, I hope you'll think about what it means to be a people whose ancestors were enslaved. I hope you think about our world today and all of the issues that had to be overcome that still need to be overcome. And I wonder if you can imagine what strength it took, what strength it still takes. And I wonder, what are you doing in your life to make sure that everyone has equity in their lives? Okay, play the video, please. Juneteenth for Maisie, written and illustrated by Floyd Cooper. For the Williams, the Banks, the Perkins, and the Cooper families, the clans that form my tree, Floyd. 
Maisie wants to play outside, but it is too late. It's getting dark, Maisie. It's time to stay inside. Maisie wants a cookie, but it is time for bed. Not now, little one. It's too close to bedtime. Maisie wants to stay up late, but she is too little. Bedtime is the rule, sweet girl. Why so grumpy, sugar bear? Asks dad. I can't go where I want, have what I want, or do what I want, answers Maisie. Well, tomorrow you can have a celebration, says dad. What are we celebrating? Asks Maisie. We will celebrate the day your great-great-great-grandpa Mose crossed into Liberty. The day will be celebrated by us and many more families on the day we call Juneteenth. Dad lifts Maisie into his arms. I bet you're tired of hearing no all the time. Well, great-great-great-grandpa Mose heard no even more. Grandpa Mose worked in fields that stretched all the way to sunset. He and the other enslaved people would be bone-tired, but they had to keep going. Their enslavers wouldn't let them quit, but as they worked, they thought about freedom. And before they finally went to sleep at night, they prayed about freedom and made plans for change and a better future. Some slaves ran north to freedom, following a bright star in the sky. They sweat, they bled, and they cried till those cries were quieted by a single proclamation from a brave president. Grandpa Mose heard that proclamation, read from the balcony of the hotel on that warm June day in Galveston, Texas. Grandpa Mose heard nothing but cheers, saw nothing but happiness, and felt nothing but pride shared by all those around him. The cheers became dancing, the dancing became celebrating. It went on and on into the night. Grandpa Mose and the others had found freedom. They continued to work, but this time they were paid for their hard work. So they worked, and they saved, and they never forgot the moment they heard. The moment that changed their lives forever. But things weren't perfect. Black people still struggled to stand shoulder to shoulder with white people. They still weren't treated as equals. It wasn't easy, but they never gave up. And every year on Juneteenth, they remembered. They marched for jobs. They lobbied for schools and the right to vote. They shouted for opportunity. And every year on Juneteenth, they celebrated and remembered. They learned and they grew. They forgave. They excelled and achieved. They became heroes. Now, sweet Maisie, it's your turn to celebrate, just like great-great-great-grandpa Mose. It's your turn, Maisie, to eat some barbecue and drink some strawberry pop. It's your turn to celebrate and to remember. Thank you, Robin, for the story. We are going to take a moment now to honor the joys and sorrows that have been shared among us today. And we begin by honoring all of you who are gathered here and in your lives who fill a father role of any kind 
it is Father's Day today, and we know that day can be complicated for a lot of those among us, and yet we do honor the very special roles that so many fathers play. Happy Father's Day. And finally, one more stone for you and whatever you're holding in your heart, whether it be joy or sorrow, we hold you in ours today. Will you join me for a few moments of prayer and reflection? We pause with humility and gratitude and awe as we honor all that is our life. The heartache, the loss, the grief, the love from which each of those is born. We celebrate the joy of being in communities where we can be fully ourselves, the joy of home, and new homes, the joy of remembered relationships and mentors and guides and parent figures in our lives. And we also recognize the call, the call to be a people of love and courage and hope and liberation in this world, liberation for all of our human siblings even when that which oppresses does not affect us directly. Let us share just a moment of stillness that each of us might know better the prayers within and among us. Amen. Blessed be.
Thank you, Tom. On June 19, 1865, Union soldiers led by Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas to announce the end of the Civil War and the end of slavery. It had been two and a half months since Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, two and a half years since President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation that officially ended legal slavery of people in areas liberated by Union troops, but not, as historian Henry Louis Gates Jr. reminds us, for those in the border states in which slavery remained legal until later when the 13th Amendment was ratified. So Juneteenth is observed each year on June 19th. Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, celebrated by African-Americans, the descendants of people who were enslaved here in the United States. For those among us whose skin looks like mine, whose identity is white, whose ancestors were not enslaved, but were more likely to be slaveholders, Juneteenth is not a day of celebration, but a day of learning, of listening, of acceptance, of commitment to being an ally. For those among us whose ancestors were enslaved, it is a day marked in part by celebration. But as scholar Skip Gates reminds us, these days Juneteenth is also an opportunity not only to celebrate, but to speak out. He quotes then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who noted in 2012, along with the U.S. Department of State's trafficking in persons report that year, that today we are celebrating what's called Juneteenth, but the end of legal slavery in the United States and in other countries around the world has not meant the end of slavery. Today it is estimated as many as 27 million people around the world are victims of modern slavery. But even without this very important acknowledgement of the ongoing realities of modern day slavery, we acknowledge today that Juneteenth is itself complicated as a holiday. In an essay published just two days ago, journalist Robin Washington, himself an African-American and descendant of people who were enslaved, expresses his outrage about how white supremacy continues to infect and diminish historical truth. In this case, Washington says, the oft-repeated tale of Union soldiers arriving in Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865 to inform enslaved African Americans that they were free is fiction. I now know the big lie is the incessantly repeated canard that Galveston's poignant Black folks didn't know they was free and that U.S. Major General Gordon Granger had to read a proclamation to spell it out for them. But they did know already what was going on in the world around them. And Washington says, if Galveston's Blacks already knew they were free, obviously so too did their slaveholders, who nonetheless kept them in bondage, not by cunning or deceit or ignorance, but by the brute force and tactics of dehumanizing torture they had been using for 200 years. 
Washington goes on in this essay to say, if you're still clutching to any vestige of the popular myth, consider that well before Lee's surrender, with the Confederacy clearly losing the war, slaveholders from throughout the South relocated their human property to Texas in advance of Union troops in order to preserve slavery for as long as they could. And those troops, if that military presence that would remain in the South for the next decade sounds benign to you, consider it analogous to UN peacekeeping forces in places like Rwanda, who weren't dispatched for the niceties of promoting civility, but were dispatched to keep one side from committing genocide against the other. And that's exactly what happened in 1876 with the turn back of Reconstruction, the imposition of Jim Crow, and the mob rule of the Klan and the lynch mob for the next 80 years, or really to the present day, he writes, with Black voter suppression alive and well by the descendants of those slaveholders and their sympathizers, and the latest nonsensical assault on truth, the banning of critical race theory in schools, Reports show a good number of those advocating this ban don't even know what critical race theory is. For them, he says, I'll explain. It's called teaching what actually happened and what didn't. And what happened in Galveston on June 19, 1865, is that General Granger arrived to forcibly liberate from intransigent slaveholders, Black people who everyone knew were free. That's the true history of Juneteenth, he says, along with a message that somehow has eluded the South and their white supremacist inheritors today. You lost the damned war. Surrender already. That's the end of my very long excerpt from Robin Washington. Juneteenth is not a holiday for me or others like me whose ancestors were not enslaved, whose whiteness protects us from so many of the obstacles and the life-threatening violence that our black neighbors face, whose relative ignorance fuels the complicity and complacency and greed that continue to impede true liberation for all our human siblings. The fact of what happened on June 19th in 1865, it's worth commemorating as long as we don't forget what followed, Jim Crow and other re-envisioned forms of racism and oppression. Similarly, the designation this week of this observance as a federal holiday is a nice gesture, but it is only a gesture. Juneteenth was not and is not enough. We must continue the work of dismantling systemic racism and white supremacy culture, we must talk about reparations. We must not rest on the laurels of past progress. In honor of Juneteenth, today we hear the voices of those whose lives are directly still informed and affected by the legacy of slavery in the United States. Thank you, Brooke and Reggie and Kirsten, for sharing your truth, your stories. So now to Brooke. 
Good morning, UUCC, and welcome guests. My name is Brooke Abercrombie, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers, but I'm also cool with they, them, and theirs. I was asked to reflect upon what it means to be free. When I hear the word free, I can't help but to think of my ancestors who were born into and died in slavery. I cannot fathom that life. I can't help but to think of my father's memories of his grandparents who were born into slavery and died free. Much like my father never imagined he'd live to see a black president, I imagine they never imagined they would be unenslaved. When I hear the word free, I hear a post-slave trade consolation prize that was won on battlefields that cost such a high price for so many for so long. A prize people were willing to kill and die for that should have been given freely. Yet it took two and a half years just to let everyone know it was won. Since free is expensive, it's expected that I be grateful for it. But I can't help but to be resentful because it should have never been taken in the first place. It was returned irreparably damaged and with survivor's remorse. I am only here because some of my ancestors found it perfectly acceptable to kidnap, own, and rape my other ancestors for profit. It meant my non-white ancestors could have been spared what was done to them for centuries by, if it meant my non-white ancestors could have been spared what was done to them for centuries by my white ancestors, I'd prefer to have never been born. When I hear the word free, I hear other American buzzwords like equality, rights, democracy, and independence. All of these came at the expense of the freedom of others. The demands that they be restored to those who have been denied are dismissed like irritating clanging of an empty tin against prison bars. When I express my consternation with American ideals, which according to the First Amendment, I am well within my rights to do, I'm often confronted with accusations of being ungrateful, defensive declarations of how much better I have it in America than everywhere else, and invitations to leave and go back where I came from. I'm literally a creation of this nation, a descendant of enslaved Africans, European slave owners, and people indigenous to this land. Just where would I go? When I hear the word free, I hear limits. This sounds like a contradiction, but are we really free to do or say or be anything we want without consequence or cost? In calculus, limits are approached but never reached. However, white people seem more free than black people, especially since a higher percentage of black people are incarcerated. Maybe because white people made and continue to make the laws that dictate what is black and what is criminal from laws surrounding slavery to black codes to Jim Crow. The 13th Amendment permits forced labor without compensation. Slavery, version 2.0. When I hear the word free, I hear I am free to participate in this experiment where slavery was a catalyst and I'm a byproduct. 
This experiment, not of my own invention, has resulted in the intentional disparate conditions for Black people across every metric this nation values. And to add insult to injury, our individual choices are blamed for the statistically collective disparity. So when I hear the word free, I'm reminded of free to be you and me, an ambitious, idealistic, 70s made for television movie. And I long for something that doesn't exist, a world where everyone's free to be who they are without condemnation, where we're all contributors to and benefactors of a humanity that doesn't bestow or deny freedom because we're all already free. Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. When she was asked to reflect on the question, what does it mean to be free? Kirsten Nelson wrote, I'm not interested in speaking, but I submit this Nina Simone video in its place. Consider it my statement. I listen to this almost every night as I fall to sleep. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I listen again as many times as necessary until I fall back to sleep. Praise to Nina for her beautiful, enduring version and praise to Dr. Billy Taylor for writing it. It touches my soul every time I listen. So Kirsten's offering, Nina Simone performing, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free in 1976. the sea 
then I'd sing Cause I know how it feels to be free Then I'd sing Cause I know how it feels to be free I wish I could share all the love that's in my heart Wish I could break all things that bind us apart. Wish you could know what it means to be me. And you'd see, you'd agree. Everybody should be free, cause if we ain't, we're murderous. Could be like a bird in the sky. How sweet it would be. I could find that I could fly to the sun. Look down and see me. I know. Yes, I know. Oh, yeah. It's moving now. I know, got news for you. I already know. Jonathan Livingston Seagull ain't got nothing on me. How it feels 
Good morning, UUCC. My name is Reginald Nettles. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I'm a longtime member of UUCC. Hearing the late Nina Simone sing again, preceded by, fe by fellow Howard University alumnus, Donnie Hathaway, takes me back to earlier times when I often heard her music on records, the old vinyl type, um, and even saw her once in concert in New York City. She always seemed so angry by the end of her, perf of, of her performances and all but stormed off the stage at the end. Hearing her voice again and some of the thoughts shared in today's service brings to mind what I have come to experience and think about as an ache. In 1955, 14-year-old Emmett Till was lynched in a small town in Mississippi. I was little then and did not, and did not quite understand what had happened, but I knew by the look on my mother's face that it was something awful. And he ended up dead in the Tallahatchie River. I asked my mother if he were, if we were related to him. No, we were not. But that was my first memory of that pained look on my mother's face. It reflected an ache. While I never knew Emmett Till, he was less than a year older than my oldest grandson is now. Such a baby, it's painful to think about what happened to a child so young. And er, an ache surfaces again. Minister Malcolm X was assassinated in New York City in February, 1965, barely 10 years after Emmett Till, reportedly by a rival religious faction. I grew up near New York uh, City, so this was close to home. I was away at school, but I called home and I knew right away that they were all in pain. They ached at the horror of it all. In April, 1968, I was in college and driving in downtown Washington, DC. I was running late looking for a parking space. A fire broke out, so I made a hasty U-turn and sped down another street. Another fire broke out, another U-turn, and then another fire. I was frantic. My car radio did not work. When I finally parked my car, I ran into one of the dormitories and learned that Reverend Martin Luther King Jr had been shot and killed. The riots had broken out in downtown DC, hence all the fires that surrounded me. Once I settled down into what had just happened, I left my DC apartment and fled to my best friend's house and stayed with him and his mom. I ached, they ached, we all ached. And then there was George, Floyd. I never knew him. 
Few people who saw what happened to him could have known him, but he was one of us. Many of us ached. And before him, there was Freddie Gray, Botham Jean, Trayvon Martin, Brianna Taylor, Ahmed Auburn, Philando Castile, Sandra Bland, and the list could go on. Eric Gardner, uh, Michael Brown, Alton Sterling. The, the list goes on. The list goes on. And we ache. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Jen Hayashi and my pronouns are she and her. When I think about freedom, I think about the ability to make choices, to act of my own volition without external encumbrance. In some ways, Juneteenth is about choices. Juneteenth exists because white supremacy refused to acknowledge the inevitability of progress toward justice. White supremacy opted to ignore the Emancipation Proclamation for almost two and a half years, choosing instead to wait until the Union Army marched into Galveston to enforce the law ending slavery. White supremacy decided to overlook the surrender of the Confederate Army at Appomattox. White supremacy deliberately kept some Black people enslaved in Texas as long as six years after emancipation. White supremacy intentionally murdered hundreds of formerly enslaved people by lynching in the years after the Civil War. White supremacy chose these actions. And now, today, here, we choose. We choose to bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice and equity, or to languish in the complacency of, look how far we've come. We choose to lift up the voices of the marginalized to learn how we can do better or drown them out with the white noise of, we've always done it this way. We choose to feel the pain in stories of injustice and oppression or numb ourselves with reasons why there must be some other explanation. As people who have never borne the foundational burden of American slavery and consequent anti-Black racism, we have so much work to do to recognize, repair, and rebuild our worldview in a way that embodies our UU principles and makes them real in our daily interactions. We can begin this work by choosing to believe in the freedom our Black siblings have described for us today, or we can turn away from it by clinging desperately to the comfort of the way things used to be. We choose. Please join me in singing hymn 169, uh, We Shall Overcome. We shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. that 
Pamela Henry, she, hers. The Generosity Minute is an opportunity for me to tell you about why I give. For me, it is a part of the circle of life. I learned to give from my parents and grandparents and my elders. Growing up, we were poor, no generational wealth. My elders were generous with everything they had, farm equipment, food, clothes, toys, and the Sunday morning donation basket. I watched my mother fill, sign, seal, and deliver that envelope each and every Sunday. I don't know where she found those extra pennies. The impression my elders made on me was indelible. After redeeming deposits from the Saturday bottle and can hunt, clean bottles and cans. I would save a portion for the Sunday morning basket, donation basket. All these years later, I still give because my share matters. Cradle Rock daycare, bridges for housing stability, hope works, backpacks for kids, voting rights, warm welcome shelters, organization for ending child bride in the United States. You could name many, many more. It's important to pay back or pay it forward or just consider it the circle of life. 
Thank you, Pamela, for sharing of your generosity and encouraging generosity among the rest of us. As Tom again offer, offers us the gift of music, you are invited generously and freely to give of your financial bounty for the work of this congregation in the world. Thank you for your offerings. As we bring our service to a close, thank you again for everyone who has given a piece of your truth, your story, your heart today. Thank you. I offer you now the words of President Barack Obama, who said, Juneteenth has never been a celebration of victory or an acceptance of the way things are. It's a celebration of progress. It's an affirmation that despite the most painful parts of our history, change is possible and there is still so much work to do. And in that spirit, our worship has ended. Our service now begins. Be well, UUCC. See you next week. You can win as long as you keep your head to the sky. Be optimistic When in the midst of sorrow You can see up when looking down A brighter day tomorrow will bring Yeah, yeah, yeah You hear the voice of reason Telling you this can't not weigh me down 
the opponent, I own it. Get it when I want it, composition of the golden. Enroll in school of life, through the dice, do it like. Living in ambition on a mission impossible. Envision optimism through a prism that's optical to see through obstacles and be remarkable. Living it for the infinite, intuit of the intimate, influenced by the sentiment, sent to it, surrendered it, surrendered it to the sky, centered in my eye. Living in the glory and the story of warrior, Victoria, the more we love. From our poor we was to euphoria, kicking the door because we think notorious.
Beat. 